Hello and welcome back to Avatar the Podcast, Comic Edition. Yay! Yay! <laughs> we are your hosts, Acorn Bandit and Booster Greg, and we are on the road searching for who? Zuko's mom. Mm-hmm. That's right. We finally made it. We're on our way to learn the secrets of what happened to Ursa. I feel like we just got off the road from the main animated series, and now we're back on it. Yeah. Another road trip. Me too. Love it. (laughs) Another road trip, (laughs) which is actually perfect because that's kind of how the characters approach it, which we'll we'll get to in a little bit. Yeah. Uh, But first, we have some reviews to go over. That's right. And the first one comes from Sarah Michelle 16. And Sarah Michelle 16 writes... Can't get enough with three exclamation marks. Thank you guys so much for this podcast. It's been great to have so much content for me to listen to while at work. I've been working a lot extra, so I caught up in just a few weeks. Can't wait to hear the Kyoshi books from y'all's point of view. That's it. I don't know why I went up on my pitch, but that was, that's the review. <laughs> that's the entire review. No continuation. Yeah. Thank you so much, Sarah Michelle. We appreciate that. Hopefully. All of the comic episodes are keeping you company at work and you've mm-hmm. been enjoying them. And that's it. I have nothing off. I don't know why my voice went back up again. <laughs> I was waiting. <laughs> we also can't wait to do the Kyoshi books too. So you yes, are not alone. That's right. Remember, I got the audio books ready. I am going to have to look into getting the physical books so I can do it like when, like I'm in grade school again and I can listen to it and read along <laughs> at the same time. It's going to be so great. Uh-huh. I'm so excited. Amazing. Our next review comes from Grant Devries, who writes, I finally caught up on the podcast, exclamation point, exclamation point, heart. Thank you for what you guys do. I love your guys' attitude and attention to detail with the lore and research. Greg, you are my favorite with all your puns and jokes. Again, thanks for the great show. I can't wait for many more. Oh, and Acorn, you're fantastic too. (laughs) Exclamation point, exclamation (laughs) point. Much love. Grant Hart. (laughs) Grant, thank you so much. Clearly, you are a man of taste and culture. (laughs) (laughs) I don't even mind being an afterthought because you're right. Greg's puns are tough tier. (laughs) You're fine too, Acorn. (laughs) (laughs) I'm all right. You're all right. Uh, That's awesome. Thank you so much, Grant. We appreciate it. And yes, Acorn is fantastic. And that's putting it mildly. Uh, The next one comes from Tristan Frog. And Tristan Frog writes, the perfect companion to the show. Good evening, Miss Acorn Bandit Water Tribe and Lord Booster Greg of the Booster Dynasty, your boosterness. (laughs) Incredible. Amazing. I'm going to change my accent for this. I love this podcast. I discovered <laughs> Avatar The Last Airbender and the rest of the Avatar universe when it hit Netflix in 2020. And ever since, I have been obsessed. I found the podcast only recently, but have been pacing my binging of the show and the podcast to line up. Avatar The Podcast does an amazing job of offering new insights into the show's production, story, and lore. My favorite part is the headcanon. Listening to the show has made my 4.30 a.m. drive to work a highlight of my day. Thank you, and keep up the good work. Tristan Frog. By the way, top five characters. Aang, Appa, Katara, Zuko, the Sun Warrior Chieftain. He is just the perfect balance of funny and intimidating to me. Sorry, they got really fancy on there, so I felt like I had to fancy it up a little bit. Wow. Wow. <laughs> Booster Greg voice acting when? 
That was amazing. That was, I'm like, I had a lot of fun. That was really good. We, we have fun here on the podcast. We like to have fun. <laughs> Best voice. Wow. Okay. Really great review. Really great reading by Booster Greg. Oh, thank, thank you, you so much, Tristan. Thank you, Tristan. And for making it extra fancy. So I got to yes. play a little bit. <laughs> yes. Also, I'm so glad that you found Avatar in 2020 before Netflix took it off their streaming service. So welcome to the podcast. You can continue on your journey with us. Yes. Our next review comes from Gator45, who writes, Building a family tradition. I'm an older Avatar fan. I started watching the Aang gang since the start in my early 20s when going to college. I was hooked from day one. Now, later in life, I had to wait until my daughter was old enough to enjoy Avatar. We watched my DVDs when she was five and she was hooked. We had conversations about the show. Now she's nine and she has watched Avatar three or four times and our conversations have changed. The conversations will drive my wife nuts that she hasn't <laughs> watched Avatar and probably won't since she is not into animated shows. We don't let that spoil our fun. Now I have to thank her for introducing me to your show and now I am hooked. It was cute. She said, Dad, I have a podcast for you. It is Avatar the Podcast. And in two weeks, I have finished all the published episodes. I really enjoy the in-depth look at each episode and adds to the many hours of conversations with my friends and daughter on the show. My top five characters are Uncle Iroh, Zuko, Sokka, Toph, and the White Lotus Masters, with the boulder as an honorable mention. My daughter's is Toph and Zuko. Thanks for the hard work and all the information and itching a scratch I didn't know I had. Is today just going to be like full-blown top tier reviews one after another because I think so. that was amazing too. Thank you for sharing that story. It's almost like a glimpse into my future. I feel like I was just going to say, I was reading this along with you and I was just like, Oh, I can't wait till my daughter gets to be five years old. Then we can have all these conversations. And then when she's nine, we can get even more in depth and then just annoy my wife to no end. <laughs> I'm so yeah, excited. because It would be a similar dynamic, right? Yes. And similar top five to mine. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Are Crazy. you a time traveler? Me? Gator? Yeah. Is, yeah. Are, are you? Is, is this? Are you is me this from, the from the future? <laughs> Please let me know. I have many questions. Uh-huh. <laughs> wow. So good. Also, I love the full circle quality to that story where you got her into Avatar, then she got you into the podcast. Yeah. Just how heartwarming. So good. The next review comes from Baby Dana Boo, and they write, OG fan club. I was 11-ish when Avatar first came out, and it was the first show I would watch every week. I love this podcast. It's like a stroll down memory lane with awesome hosts. I'm now sharing all the awesome fun facts I learned from the show with my husband, who also loves Avatar. Yay! Yay. So much sharing in today's reviews. Thank you, Baby Dana Boo. That was a really good one. I, I, yeah, the, you're right. A lot of sharing, which is maybe maybe the theme of the, the episode, just based off of the reviews and not the source <laughs> material that we read and researched. Yep. We'll see if it matches up by the end. Our last review, though, comes from the down-to-earth airbender who writes, love it. I've been listening for a while now from Spotify and I love everything I've heard. I watched this since I was young and the way y'all go in-depth is interesting and it's hard to see, pun intended, anyone hating this. Stay flaming. And then the tongue face. <laughs> I like that pun. That was a good one. I like it too. That was really good. Yep. That was really solid. Down-to-earth airbender. I feel like you're trying to highlight something and it's going right over my head right now. <laughs> oh, no. I was reiterating. Oh. It's from the down to earth. Airbender. Airbender. Earth, earth. Hard. I see. I see. I get it. Yeah. I get it. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yeah. I got there. 
We got there. It took me a minute, <laughs> but I got there. That's going to be our primer pun for the episode. <laughs> okay. That sounds good. Thank you so much, everyone, for writing the reviews. Honestly, we love reading them. I yeah. think this is the best way to start our episodes now. So keep them coming. You can leave your own written review on Apple Podcasts if you sign in. And you can also leave a star review now on Spotify. If you're a Spotify listener and you want to throw your review in that basket, That's right. And if you're thinking about it, just know that 283 other listeners have decided to give us a nice five star or lesser. I don't know. I can't see them all individually, but we can see that there are 283 reviews for Avatar, the podcast on Spotify. So thank you all so, so much. We super appreciate it. That's amazing. so crazy. But the most important part is that it's written. And why is that, Greg? Um, it's, it's a rule about something. What was it? What was it? I mean, if it's, if I can read it, it must be written, but if it's not written, (laughs) I don't think I can read it because that's how the written language works. Yes. We took the scenic route there, folks, today. We did. And I enjoyed it. (laughs) That's right. All right. Let's jump right into today's episode, which is going to be on The Search, part one, or as we like to call it, Zuko's mom has got it going on. (laughs) That's right. We finally get to see some more background on Ursa, which I personally found fascinating and I can't wait to talk about. Me too. The comic, interestingly enough, opens on a blank black panel with the dialogue from two unknown sources. We still don't know who they are. We can guess. We can talk about it. But the dialogue goes, wait, I want to know everything. Everything? Everything. For you, my dear, I'll start from the beginning. I think I know who they are. Who do you think they are? It's Zuko and Ozai. Or Zuko... You think... Or... Or Ozai and Azula. That's what I think. Hmm. The my dear made me think it was Ursa. Maybe Ursa and... Oh, see, I took it very like tauntingly is, is like the my dear. Oh, okay. For, so that, that was where yeah. like the Zuko part came in. But if it's not, I don't know, maybe I'm just got Ozai on my brain because he's just sitting <laughs> in a might. cell like Hannibal Lecter, just as uh-huh. dangerous as ever without his bending. I don't know. Nothing good is going to happen. He needs, he needs to be gone. He needs to be gone. I know. He does. He's causing way too much trouble yes. for being element bendingless and in a prison with no throne. He he's still causing too much trouble. He's not even sweating his position. We already went over this a couple episodes ago, but he's not even yeah. sweating his position right now, which makes me very nervous. Yep. Well, we are probably eventually going to find out who that dialogue comes from at the end of this comic. We still don't know. So cast your bets now. The scene shifts, however, to a sepia colored remote tropical village named Hira'a where a man is standing on a stage practicing his lines. A young woman in a mask appears and startles him, causing him to drop his own mask. The two flirt, and the woman is quickly identified as Ursa and the man, Ikem, her boyfriend. Ursa announces that she just received the role of the Dragon Empress in the play, the implied counterpart role to Ikem's role as the Dragon Emperor. Ikem jumps to his feet, ecstatic that he will finally be able to kiss Ursa in front of the whole village. He puts his mask back on and the two recite their lines from the scene, gently touching masks together in a kiss that turns out to be more awkward than it looks. Ikem then unexpectedly proposes to Ursa, revealing to her that he's been in love with her since he was six and she kicked him in the stomach and pushed his face in the dirt. 
Ursa, daughter of Jinzuk and Rina, will you marry me? And Ursa says yes. I love this guy. Mm-hmm. It's because he's basically Fire Nation Sokka. <laughs> yep. Great first impression. Mm-hmm. Definitely pretty kooky, sweet, funny. I'm getting real Sokka vibes from him, too. He's very animated, I think, is where that's coming from. Like, the mm-hmm. panel where he yells congratulations that she got this role. His, like, arms are super wide stretched. Like, he's got motion lines going all over the place. This guy moves fast. But uh-huh. not when it comes to, I guess, proclaiming your love. Because it took him how many <laughs> years? Yeah. Though, in the moment, he moved very fast. It was like, all right, screw it. I'm going to marry this woman. And that's then he true. proposes. That's very true. Yeah. I mean... He is clearly designed for us to fall in love with him as well as readers. Yes. So, yes. Good job well done. <laughs> yeah. What an interesting introduction. I like how it starts here, but it was also like very startling for me because I've only ever seen Ursa as the quiet, melancholic mother of Zuko that we kind of see in the background. She's not in the foreground very often, except yeah. for like one episode. So, to see her as a young woman. And to hear her also be named not as a member of the royal family, but as like the daughter of two people in a remote village, it was so weird and also immediately tragic because I knew what was coming for her. I didn't know how it was going to happen, but I knew what her fate would be. Yeah. And her body language is drastically different, too. And this is this is props to the artist as well, right? Like Grihiro just nails the Avatar The Last Airbender style with these illustrations mm-hmm. as well as in uh, the promise parts one, two and three. But like, she's very, she's sitting upright. She's got great posture. She's flexing at one point in one of these panels, like just a very different person from the woman that we know based off of mm-hmm. the flashbacks in the animated series. And you're right. It's tragic to think about what she becomes and well, spoilers, it's going to happen real quick. <laughs> yep. That's true. So a couple notes on the development of this comic. I read that not everything had been decided about Ursa's backstory until Michael Dante DiMartino began his conversations with Yang, the writer, who, for example, was the one who came up with Ursa's romance with Ikum. So we might actually have Yang to thank for Ikum's existence. I just love Ikum so much. Whoever came up with Ikum, thank you from the bottom of my heart. <laughs> Very quickly turning into a top five character for the comics for me. Very quickly. Based yeah. off of what? Five pages? How many pages is that? Yeah, Nearly. Yeah. yeah. Five or six pages. So thank you. Yep. Another little detail about the hometown. It was obviously remote somewhere in like the mountains, but the inspiration came from the typical early 20th century Hawaiian village. The Japanese had begun to settle in Hawaii around that time. And so with the Fire Nation being heavily based on Japan, that cultural connection was a natural progression creatively for the team to follow. So that is why we have some palm trees in the distance, a very tropical vibe going on. Mm. We can uh, trace it back to Hawaii. I do kind of like that Ursa is like an island girl, kind of. Mm -hmm. It just kind of like makes sense why the royal family would be maybe a little more attracted to someone like Ursa. Because, you know, she's from this like distanter area and she's very exotic and, and stuff like that. And they, I think they really had to make a reason for Ozai to be into Ursa or want to marry Ursa out of all of the women in the Fire Nation. Mm-hmm. But I feel like we're going to find that out definitively in a couple pages. <laughs> yep. There's a pretty <laughs> big reason yeah. why Ursa got caught up in all of this. Mm-hmm. 
But first, we're going to jump to the present where we find Team Avatar sitting in a grand hall with other members from Yudao. They've gathered to listen to a lecture by an expert in ancient Earth Kingdom theories of government, hoping to draw wisdom from the past in order to build the society of the future. But Sokka is bored to tears and whispers back and forth with Aang, who is also struggling to pay attention. Katara, meanwhile, scolds them for not listening, and the three begin to bicker. Zuko, who is actually trying to listen, is distracted by them and misses what the professor says about family. Zuko snaps to attention and asks the man to repeat the sentence. Following a disparaging comment from the professor about the Fire Lord's adolescence, he repeats himself, saying, Family is in essence a small nation, and the nation a large family. In treating his own family with dignity, a ruler learns to govern his nation with dignity. Zuko looks troubled by this, and when Aang asks if he's all right, he asks what does it mean for his own nation if he put his own father in prison and his sister in an institution? Sokka tries to lighten the mood by saying the professor's a blowhard and that only people like Katara can take him seriously, which earns him a face full of icy slush from Katara. I love that she turned her hot tea into ice, into snow. Yeah, and basically a snowball. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I thought this was really interesting, too. So it took me a second to realize they were still in Yudao, I think. And it was one of the government buildings that they were all congregating in. And I guess they got this specialist to come in and speak to them, who, by the way, was kind of based on the traditional appearance of Confucius, as requested by Yang. Oh, he does. Yeah. They wanted to give him that, like, wise, elderly, knowledgeable teacher kind of vibe. Stroking his beard. (laughs) Yeah. That's hilarious. (laughs) Um, But already, I mean, last episode, we talked about how poor Zuko is just so mentally conflicted. And this is not helping. He's basically telling Zuko that the way you rule a nation is directly related to like the dynamics of your family. And Zuko's like, oh, crap, (laughs) I'm going to be a terrible ruler. But like, yeah, that's his, his train of thought. But I disagree with his train of thought because like... Absolutely. He's keeping his father alive, even though it's dangerous to do so. I mean, he didn't really visit his sister until he absolutely had to. But she's like just as dangerous as well with her words. Yeah. He had a rocky relationship at first with Iroh. And then he definitely mended that and was so cautious not to bother his uncle again during the promise that it was a hinder to himself. So he's very respectful, Mm -hmm. I think, of his family. And he doesn't view it that way. He just views it as, oh, I locked up my father and my sister because they were trouble. And I don't talk to my uncle all that much anymore. So I'm screwed. When really, I think it's (laughs) the opposite. I think that he's just being too hard on himself. Yeah. Yeah. I think this is a great extension of one of the comments you made in our last episode about how Zuko tends to take cues and advice and signals from his external environment and the people in his life rather than looking inside and seeking the truth from within himself. So I think this is just one more example of that, where the teacher is is basically saying, if your family life sucks and you're going to be a terrible ruler, that's how he's taking it. And he's like, oh no, I have to fix everything. (laughs) Confucius said this. (laughs) Yep. Uh, It's literally going to be in a cookie tomorrow. Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. Poor Zuko. Poor Zuko. Well, back in the Hira of the past, Ursa returns home and excitedly calls to her mother that she'll never guess what has happened with Ikem, but finds her mother kneeling on the ground, upset. 
Ursa kneels next to her and asks what's wrong. And after reminding her that she loves her, Rina tells Ursa that her father, Jinzuk, is in the greenhouse with a visitor. Uh Uh-oh. Really interesting note here. Mm -hmm. Did you see what her mom was holding? Yeah, it was was like Roku's headdress. Like his Uh thing that he got from, oh God, what's his name? Sozin. From Sozin. Yeah, I did see that. And I was like, yeah, but we already knew having watched the series. This would have been, I think, a crazier reveal if they didn't reveal that in the animated series. They left it for the comic. Mm-hmm. But that still. would be an incredible reveal. Yeah. But yeah, very subtle, very nice. It's like it's not the center of attention on the panel. But if you know what you're looking for, it definitely is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And for a second, because it wasn't the main central focus of the panel, I actually thought that it might have been I don't know, like a gift, almost like a wedding gift oh, or yeah. proposal gift. Yeah. But then I realized, no, that's that's a family heirloom yep. handed down by Roku. I don't so, know how they got it, though, because Roku left that on his floor when the volcano erupted. Don't ruin this, Greg. <laughs> <laughs> um, that's all I can think about. <laughs> swiped it before it erupted in flames yeah, and sure. flung it with his dragon strength and it landed on the mainland of the Fire Nation where someone who knows it's Roku's picks it up and then carries it with them for the next 20 years and eventually, you know. It's, it's also like possible his child or someone else picked it up for him because we only saw him run out with his wife. We didn't see any yeah. children in the scenario. So that's possible, but I just wanted that to, is. to remind everyone <laughs> that this is a kind of small little oversight here, which is the yeah. same kind of oversight because somehow Iroh gets it and gives yeah. it to Zuko. So we already knew this was an oversight. This is not any shade or any criticism on the writing in this. Exactly. This is already a plot hole. (laughs) That was from the animated (laughs) series. Yep. Yeah. So uh, what you're saying is we need a companion show to go along with Sokka's boomerang, but following Roku's headpiece. I just want an entire series just off of artifacts from the Avatar (laughs) The Last Airbender universe. Yep. That's all I want. That'd be awesome. It'd be really cool. Well, with this news, Ursa goes out to the greenhouse. And when she arrives, she finds her father with not just one visitor, but two, Fire Lord Azulon and Prince Ozai. After comparing Ursa's beauty to the lovely flowers of the greenhouse, Fire Lord Azulon explains the reason for their unexpected visit. The Fire Sages have told him that the pairing of the Avatar's granddaughter with his own son will yield a bloodline of great power, one that will help ensure his family's rule for centuries after he is gone. At this point, he introduces his son, Prince Ozai, and tells Ursa that he has a proposal for her. So that's the reason. I thought it was just because... I'm just kidding, everyone. If you didn't follow She's me on that She's just a beautiful joke, tropical flower a in a small village. exotic, <laughs> just tucked away in an unknown village. No. She's Roku's uh-huh. granddaughter, everyone, if you had forgotten. And I just want to point this out. Ozai mm-hmm. is like Keanu Reeves. He has not aged a day. From this panel up until the fight with Aang in book three. That's a great point. He looks exactly the same. (laughs) I feel like his hair looks more youthful, but yes, otherwise his face and everything looks the same. Yeah, I guess his widow's peak isn't quite so widowy just yet. (laughs) Or peaky, I should say. But yeah, I just looked at that picture and I was like, he got the good genes and Iroh, poor Iroh got the bad genes. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, man. Iroh, we, we talked about this, right? He's maybe like five, ten years older, and he looks like he's 20 years older. Yeah, we, yeah. We, we, I think what we landed on was 
Iroh is probably about 10 years older, but just looks older because he's he feels guilt and shame and he feels emotions, unlike Ozai, who retains this youthful look because he's a psychopath and doesn't really consider other people's feelings when he's doing things. And kind of a spoiled prince, in too, spoiled while prince. Iroh was fighting in the army. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Ozai didn't really have to fight that we know of, so mm-hmm. just an easier life all around. Yeah. Another little detail about this scene is the fact that Azulon took interest in the flowers of the greenhouse and compared Ursa's beauty to them. If we think back through the line of Zuko's family, we see a lot of gardening coming out with different people. Like Iroh was interested in gardening as seen in Ba Sing Se. He Mm. was tending that little tree, I think, on the windowsill. And Zuko's great-grandfather was portrayed standing amidst flowers and several leaves in his official portrait that was hanging in the throne room. Remember when Zuko was standing in front of his... Oh, that's right. Yeah. His ancestors' tapestries. And one of them, I think uh, Azulon here, he was surrounded by this like foliage. It's interesting. Mm Mm-hmm. So I think it's a interesting little character detail for him to come in and be like, ooh, lovely flowers, but not as lovely as your daughter. The loveliest of the flowers, the yes. descendant of the Avatar. <laughs> yep, exactly. <laughs> in the Fire Nation at the Capital City Prison, Zuko stands outside his father's cell with Suki and Tai Lee while his sister meets with their father inside. They discuss the state of Yudao, and Zuko mentions that Aang's plan is to unite the four nations through Yudao as a prototype for a new kind of city. The words of the professor have obviously moved him because he tells the Kyoshi warriors that while the idea sounds idealistic, maybe the world could use a little more idealism. He peeks through the bars of the cell door and sees his sister and father sitting opposite each other, Azula in a straitjacket on a chair outside the cell bars, their father sitting on the ground just inside them. Suki and Tai Lee tell Zuko that the two of them haven't said a word to each other. What a mirror image of when Zuko visited Iroh. Like a twisted reflection of that. Oh, no. Where Iroh wasn't saying a word, but I mean, Zuko can't help himself. If if Zuko is ever silent in this way, there's something terribly wrong. Mm -hmm. But if everyone remembers, Zuko was yelling at his uncle and like throwing chairs and burning things and having temper tantrums where now we see two clear allies right now biding their time. This made me so uncomfortable. I can't even <laughs> see Ozai's face and I'm getting chills. Yep. It's like you've already made a grave mistake, Zuko, by even putting them in the same room yeah. with each other. Yeah. And look at Azula's face. Mm-hmm. When we last saw Azula at the end of the promise part three, we had noted that she looked kind of Joker-esque. She had this crazed look in her eyes and her lipstick was kind of smeared and her hair was disheveled. Exact opposite. She has a very focused stare. Her hair is Mm -hmm. not wild or out of control. And her lipstick is even appropriately applied, let's say. It's not like a Joker smile. It's just she's collected and she's not wailing out of control. It's just chilling. Yeah. And I read that that was very intentional. They had a conversation around the way that she's portrayed because it's a little bit different from the way that she looked in the animated series. Mm -hmm. But they wanted to show her split personality as both a manipulative, cool, calm, collected side and then a lunatic on her other side. And we see that like flip-flopping through the whole comic. And this kind of Azula, I can get behind. This is what I like (laughs) in my villains right here. 
Just that uh-huh. blatant division, just polar opposites in the same character. It's great. Mm-hmm. I'm very excited about this. Yeah, I think while it is a mistake, and we all know that, it's also going to make the story much more interesting. Yes. Well, Zuko decides to bring in a tray of tea for his family, despite Suki's warnings, saying that even though they're prisoners, they're still his family. However, once he gets close enough, Azula lunges out and bites the tray in his hands, using it to knock Zuko to the ground. She stands in her straitjacket and accuses her brother of expecting her to lap at the tea like an animal, and Tylee reacts to her aggression by chi-blocking her. Azula falls to the ground and upon seeing Ty Lee begins to rant, wild-eyed, demanding to know how she got to Ty Lee and May. How did she make them lose their fear of her? Zuko tells the warriors to back off and explains to Azula that he thought the tea might lend the meeting a little dignity. Azula tells him that dignity would involve her and her father being able to talk to one another like two human beings in private. After a moment's pause, Zuko agrees. Couple notes just on the panels and some events that mm-hmm. happen there. Zuko walks in with the tea. Zula snaps back. Like I, I'm imagining this is a very quick movement, like not, yep. a, not a slow turn, but she steps back. Bags are back under her eyes. So the act is back on. Mm-hmm. If it's an act, I don't know. And she does all of that maneuvering. And all Ozai does is smirk. Yep. From the shadows of from the so. shadows, not a toothy grin. A very subtle looking up through his forehead or through his eyebrows. Smirk. Mm-hmm. A plan is in motion, folks. Yep. We don't know what it is yet. Well, I mean, we do because we read it. And maybe you did because you read it too. Or if you're listening now, you don't know yet. But something's afoot. And it's just, I can't wait to tell everyone. I'm trying not to spoil <laughs> the end of this book so hard. Uh-huh. Uh, it's, oh, my God. It's, it's brilliant. Mm, what's even more brilliant is the fact that they were able to come up with that plan without saying a word to each other. Well, like, they're so alike. And that's yeah. why. Like, here's like, I think most, if not all of us, have had a friendship or a relationship where things go unsaid and it's understood through a nod or a look or something like that. Mm-hmm. Now, imagine father and daughter are the exact same person with the exact same upbringing. Yep. They could probably just communicate without even saying a word just by staring at each other like we saw here. So this brilliant mm-hmm. plan that's going to unfold, as Acorn brilliantly put it, all went unsaid in front of Zuko. Yeah. <laughs> and the Kyoshi Warriors. And the Kyoshi Warriors. Just brilliant. This Ooh. is a villain right here. These are villains. Yep. Love it. Yep. Absolutely love it. Oh, God. When they get back outside the cell, Suki asks Zuko if he's sure about this decision. But the prince tells her that one is chi blocked and the other can't firebend. They can't do anything but talk. Besides, like it or not, Azula is his best chance of finding his mother. I feel like this was very naive of Zuko to say. All they can do is talk as if that's not threatening enough, as if that's not as bad. It's the most (laughs) threatening thing about them. It is. It's not their master bending abilities. It's their ability to manipulate their way in and out of situations. Mm-hmm. Oh, Zuko, poor, naive, idiotic Zuko. Yep. I'm so sorry. <laughs> and like thinking about it through his character lens, I can see where he's coming from because he was burned by his father mm-hmm. as a boy. Mm-hmm. So much of his father's power has been showcased and backed up through firebending. And then his sister has always, I guess, like in their travels, he's always encountered Azula. 
in some sort of physical way, you know, like the chase where they're fighting each other in the broken down Western type village. Yeah. Every time they get together, it's it's through some sort of like either firebending battle or physical hand-to-hand combat battle. So I think he might just be forgetting how smart they are. He knows, but he thinks that because they're so limited, it's going to affect all of them when their brains are just fine. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm going to say something a little spicy right now. Ooh, okay. And I'm going to expect that we get at least eh, one email and maybe a review mentioning this specifically. Ooh, okay. Zuko did not get the brains in the family. He's an idiot. Oh. As far as that lineage is concerned, he's the dumb dumb. I love him. He's edgy. He's cool. He's handsome. He's great. But everyone in the family except him is brilliant at manipulating situations, playing pie show. Iroh does it as well, but he's not evil. Mm-hmm. He's learned, he's changed, he's evolved. He was a war hero for sure. And he did a lot of bad things during that point. We haven't seen them, but one can only imagine. But even he manipulates situations to get the upper hand with just mm-hmm. talking. We even saw him play the idiot with Zhao in book one. Like (laughs) that was him manipulating Zhao. He didn't want the general to perceive him as a threat. So he acted like an idiotic old man fumbling around and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. That is his, he's more, I guess, prop comedy for lack of a better term, or like the drunken master aspect where Mm -hmm. Ozai and Azula are very straightforward. They want you to know they're the smartest person in the room immediately. And Suko based on what we've seen so far, has never been the smartest man in the room. I take that back. That one time when he was in the blue spirit costume and then there was two, those two guards, maybe he was smarter than them. <laughs> but rarely is he ever. And I'm sorry, but as far as I can tell, and it's my opinion, if you disagree, you're more than welcome to. But he is definitely the dumb dumb of the family. Comparatively. Comparatively. Yes, I'd, I'd have to agree. He's not <laughs> dumb, but he's like the least, least intelligent out of all of his yeah. family members, for sure. Yeah. And I don't disagree with you. I do agree. That's a very spicy take. Yep. And You're if welcome. anyone out there is offended right now, think about this. We go back to Sozin. Sozin planned to take over the world using a comet that boosts firebending power. Yep. Azulon launches war on the rest of the world continuing the actions of his father helps with genocide and basically sets things in motion for like world domination. Ozai is the sadistic ruler that we have always seen him to be. Azula is a child prodigy who is also as manipulative, smart, cunning, and devastating in her intellect. Mm -hmm. And then Iroh is the, like you said, drunken master where you can't really tell if he's just always has a long game going or not. Mm -hmm. Does he always have like a plan in mind? And then there's Zuko. He has been very clearly set up to be an underdog which I think is why we all love him so much because he struggles and struggles and struggles and is trying to just get to where he feels like he belongs in life. He's trying to find his destiny. And I think it it really comes to a head in bitter work when we see him trying to learn something new and then being so defeated that he stands up to a lightning storm and says like, you've always put me down. Like, come at me just one more time. I dare you. I dare you universe. Like that's who he is. 
But also on top of that, we've recently discussed how because of that, because he's an underdog and he's trying to find his way through the world, he's very receptive to the people in his life, advice, friends, family, that it's really tough for him to like come up with a plan all on his own. But that's part of who he is. That's, you know, going hand in hand with his underdog nature. Yes. And I will say this. I think that although he's not the most conniving member of his family, I think that mentally he's one of the strongest. Yes. His resilience is through the roof. It's just wild. Like you see Azula loses a single fight and she breaks (laughs) apart. She crumbles. And there's more to it than I know. I'm I'm being a little facetious when I say that. But I mean, she lost and she can't handle it. Zuko's been doing mm-hmm. nothing but losing practically his entire adult life from when mm-hmm. he was burned up until the end of book three. And I guess maybe even after that, because we're going to see some stuff happen. So yep. he just gets himself right back up and keeps on moving. Yeah. So it's almost like his family was born with the smarts. He was born with the resilience. And he is learning all of the wisdom that they seem to have picked up very intuitively through adversity. Yeah. He's got to learn the hard way. If he sees a hot stove, he's got to touch it several times (laughs) (laughs) before realizing he shouldn't. Yep. Yep. Exactly. (laughs) Oh man. We love him. We love him. Absolutely. Back in the Hira of the past, Ursa rides in a carriage with Fire Lord Azulon and Prince Ozai frowning and half listening to Azulon's small talk about the comforts he's sure she'll enjoy once they reach the capital. The carriage is suddenly stopped by Ikem, who stands in the street holding theater prop swords. The young man demands that the Fire Lord release his true love because, with all due respect, he can't let him take her away from him. The Fire Lord orders his guards to take care of the boy and a fight soon breaks out. Fearing for his life, Ursa pleads with Ozai to order the guards to stop, claiming that the man is her childhood friend and he's just confused. She calls Ozai her love in the hopes that it might persuade him, which it does. Ozai orders the guards to stop and Ursa runs out of the carriage to tell Ikum to go home. Ikum pleads with her and tells her that he will go home if she tells him that marrying the prince is what she truly wants. Ursa sadly looks back at the carriage in the waiting royals, then turns back to Ikum and formally responds, Fire Prince Ozai honored my family by asking for my hand in marriage. I joyfully accepted. She meets Ikum's eyes with tears rolling down her cheeks and says, now for your sake and mine, go home. And the transformation begins right here. Yep. The vitality, mm-hmm. the freedom of expression and movement and body language is already shrunk and tightened so much. Yeah. And I will say this for Ikum. He put up a fight mm-hmm. for just having prop swords. He was very resourceful. Like, he took out one guard. The other one was firebending at the sword. It catches on fire. So he throws it at the guard. Like yeah. he knows how to fight. Like he's not an idiot in terms of this regard. And he probably could have at least stood up to Ozai for four seconds, let's say. Mm-hmm. But yeah, but Ursa steps up and selflessly just says, I want to be with him. Please go home. And he is mm-hmm. devastated. Absolutely devastated. Yep. Poor guy. I'm getting a little teary just thinking about it. I know. And so the journey begins for him too. That's true. Man, it's true. Back in the capital, Suki and Tylee escort Zuko as he walks Azula back to the institution in her wheelchair. Zuko insists that the warriors leave him to deal with his sister alone. He questions Azula about the conversations she'd had with their father, but she responds with a sarcastic no answer. 
She then brings up the curious side effects of chi blocking and how it makes one's joints go soft, like they're made of melted wax, resulting in a few moments of extreme flexibility as strength returns. As she says this, she snakes an arm out of her straitjacket and fires a bolt of lightning at her brother. Using the distraction to leap from the wheelchair, she wiggles and burns her way out of her restraints and leaps onto a nearby roof, escaping through a window. I love this so much. Mm-hmm. So much. She manipulated her dear friend Ty Lee to use chi blocking on her. So then when her chi would be restored, she'd still be like extra flexible so she could get out of her restraints and make a daring escape to what her father without saying a word, instructed her to do. Oh, no, they talked later. So maybe that's going too far. Maybe when they were talking in private, he was like, all right, here's what you got to do. Okay, yeah. X, Y, Z. But still, brilliant execution. Because that first part of the plan was before they were talking. Uh-huh. So wait, 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 wait. here's a question. Yes. Does Ozai smirk before or after Azula gets chi blocked? I believe it's before. Ozai's smirk is literally one panel before she gets chi blocked. Okay. So here, here's the order of events. T is presented to Azula. Azula grabs the tray with her mouth. She knocks Zuko over and T's going everywhere. Ozai smirks. Azula yells about lapping it up like an animal. Then she gets chi blocked. So it's like he was expecting. He was mm-hmm. like, all right, here it comes. I think that's the case too. My personal opinion, my personal theory is that yes, that was part of the plan because even when it was happening, Azula ranting about being expected to lap up tea like an animal is kind of on brand for her, but it was also from like zero to a hundred in like two seconds. Theatrical, yeah. Yeah, it was was very theatrical. So I think this was the plan the whole time. Yeah, if you disagree with us, let us know. But this feels very evil mastermind-ish, which is Mm -hmm. on brand for both of them. So I I love it. It's just so exciting. (laughs) It's so exciting. What's uh, not as exciting Mm. is what happens to Ikem back in the past. Because once Ursa is taken away, he actually exiles himself to a nearby jungle where he mourns the loss of Ursa. Intent on isolating himself, he begins gathering materials and builds a shelter time passing by days and weeks as he forms a new life. One night, once his beard has grown in full and he rests by a campfire, he turns to see a giant glowing wolf spirit drinking from the river nearby. The two lock eyes. This is not the case, and this is completely Greg headcanon right here. Mm-hmm. Not headcanon, but this is, this is Greg going on a tangent in his brain right now. Ecom's mustache grows faster than his beard. And it's, I don't know, I just thought of Wang Fire for some reason. But he's got the big <laughs> Burt Reynolds mustache going. <laughs> I I 100% thought that too. He is definitely exhibiting some Wang Fire. Yeah. yeah. Yes. And I guess it's safe to confirm that he's not a firebender because we see him making a fire by rubbing yeah. two sticks together. So yep. we can put any future thought of him maybe being a firebender to bed. He had to make fire the old fashioned way. So mm-hmm. when I saw, on the other note, when I saw the ghost dog wolf lapping the water in front of him, I got so excited. It's just like that? the foreshadowing in this where it's just they're both on opposite sides of water. Water's reflective. So it's like a mirror reflection kind of. It was just like so cool. Mm-hmm. It's just the foreshadowing <laughs> in that one panel is so cool. I know. It's so good. Also, it's a very powerful passage. 
because there's no dialogue. Yeah. It's all imagery of his sadness, his grief, his resilience of basically building a new life for himself in this jungle. Also, there could be some similarities between the wolf spirit and Moro, the wolf god from the Ghibli movie, Princess Mononoke. Mm. It's not confirmed, but because the creators have stated they've drawn inspiration from Studio Ghibli and Miyazaki films in particular, that might be where the idea came from. You know, if either of them, Mike or Brian or Bright, <laughs> were working <laughs> with Yang and talked about this, like, you know, this would be really cool if... I also think that's just the symbol of the lone wolf is just ingrained in our culture that as well. Too. And like, honestly, if you're going to give someone a spirit animal and it's a wolf, you know, at least as far as like, this might be a little bit America culture centric thinking of me. But like, if I see a lone wolf and a dude on the other end of the pond, I'm like, watch out. This guy is going to be trouble real quick, <laughs> real quick. Symbolically. He's yeah. going to be cool. He's going to get feral and then go back to cool. Like this is, there's so mm-hmm. much, so much expectations building up from just this panel, from a storytelling standpoint, from an artistic standpoint. It was really beautiful. Like I'm just going to say it, Ecom right now, number one favorite character in the comics. I'm just going to go out on a limb without nice. having read any of the other ones yet. <laughs> Only halfway through this trilogy, Ecom is like right up there. Beautiful. That's very on brand for Greg. I like it. <laughs> I'm very predictable <laughs> in that way. <laughs> oh, man. Back in the Fire Nation capital, Zuko pursues Azula into the palace where he eventually comes to a framed painting that conceals a hidden passageway. He uses firebending to open the passage and follows his sister into a hidden bunker filled with artifacts from around the world. When he wonders aloud what the place is, Azula, who is digging through a trunk, responds that it's one of their father's many secret chambers, something that Zuko would know about if he'd come exploring with her when they were little. But his fear always held him back, which I feel like was kind of a jab, too. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. <laughs> Modern, present-day jab. She stands and holds a stack of letters aloft in the air, announcing that the chest contained many years' worth of letters that their mother wrote, and they're the key to finding her. Zuko demands she turn them over, but before he can make another move, she ignites them with a blue whoosh of fire and cackles at Zuko's distraught reaction. Unseen by Zuko, she slips one of the letters into her sash behind her back. Zuko angrily demands to know what's wrong with her, to which she shouts back, why don't you ask her that? I'm sure she'd be happy to tell you. Obviously struggling with her sanity, Azula clutches her head and tells him that believe it or not, she also wants to find their mother as much as he does. And so she'll tell him what was in the letters on one condition. What a scene. Also, how cool was that little hidden bunker? Like, it was really, I the, really liked the it. The artifacts. Yeah. Yeah. There was outfits from every nation. Yeah. Different weaponry, chess, things that you would have found around the world. I thought that was a really cool touch. I did as well. And I will say this so people don't add us or me specifically. Zuko did use his brain to find this little hidden bunker. <laughs> he felt that the portrait of the Fire Nation symbol or the picture was warm. And he goes, oh, I know what to do here. He's got uh-huh. a brain. I get it. That's, yeah. not the, that's not the intelligence that I'm referring to when I was calling him a dum-dum five minutes ago. Uh-huh. Oh, give him credit where credit's due here. Yeah. Yeah, but it was really cool to see, like, especially the Air Nomad relics. That was very yeah. interesting to see because we know that the Fire Nation was using the relics as bait, essentially, after 
the genocide of the air nomads. Mm -hmm. So I guess they just kept a couple for themselves and put it in a little, little trophy room, which is just like, oh man, says so much about the Ozai and the family lineage and everything. Like they commit a genocide and they take trophies. They conquer things and they take trophies. Although it's interesting that the trophies are hidden. I did wonder about that. I don't know what to make of that, to be honest with you. But it's interesting to think about that. Like some shame maybe, or I don't know. Like so far we haven't seen any real remorse over the genocide. Mm -hmm. So I wonder why that's not more in a more prominent place. Yeah, I wondered about that too. Where I kind of landed was it's more of like a storage unit than anything. And because they're valuable, they were made to be hidden and just kind of like all dumped together. Like a safe. Yeah, I get it. I, I yeah, kind of like a safe. I can get that, that's that. my best guess. Oh, did you see on the right hand side as well? The little uniform that looks familiar there. They have a daily uniform. Yeah. It's really, really interesting. And it doesn't look like a modern one either. It looks like an older one too. Exactly. It makes me wonder when all of these were taken because they do seem like definitely not present day. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. But yeah, brilliant scene. We get that really shoved in our face. Remember, Azula is actually losing her mind. It's not always an act, which is mm -hmm. a nice reassurance to have, right? Yeah. Uh, not for her, maybe, but for us, the reader, to be like, we didn't forget about this. This is really the case. And it's just... I can't, I'm just even more scared for Zuko because she's still seeing her mother. <laughs> uh-huh. And she just talked to their dad. Yes. Alone. Yes. And has a plan. Yes. <laughs> Do you think that when she was staring at her father, she saw her mother behind him? Oh, God. Maybe. Maybe. She definitely sees her in reflections, but I think she also sees her elsewhere, too. So that would track. What do you think is more terrifying? The fact that she maybe saw her mother in that jail cell behind Ozai and had zero reaction or the fact that when she's around Ozai, her psychosis, for lack of a better term, appears to be null, appears to be just gone. I noticed that too. That was very unnerving. I mm -hmm. think that's what made that moment in the cell so tense. The fact that she was very languid, relaxed, calm, yeah, but still like very uh, intense looking at Ozai. And then whenever Zuko shows up, she's like back to losing her mind again. Mm. Yeah. It, it could be masking as well. She could be masking her mental state because she wants her father to be proud of her. I could see both ways. Yep. 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 Oh boy. Mm -hmm. Well, jumping back to mom, on her wedding day, she goes through the ceremony with a very sad and resigned expression. At the wedding reception afterwards, Ozai comments on how lovely Ursa's parents are. Ursa's expression softens and she tells him that they've always been good to her. Ozai then suggests that she should tell them that when she says goodbye, so that her last words are sweet ones to remember her by. Ursa is startled and asks for an explanation. Ozai proceeds to tell her that as princess of the Fire Nation, she is expected to sever all ties to her past and to devote herself entirely to her new duties. Ursa looks on in horror as he continues, saying that after that day, she is expected to never mention Hira her family, or her old life ever again. She belongs to the royal family now and to him. I don't like it. Oh boy. Mm -hmm. I dislike this. That's all I can say is I severely <laughs> dislike this. Yep. There's a lot going on in this scene. We definitely see Ozai's sadistic side. Yes. He seems to take pleasure in telling her, yes, your life is over and you're going to deal with it. 
oh, by the way, you belong to me now. You're basically my property and a possession of the royal family. So that's great. The one nice thing about this scene is we see her wedding dress, which is very similar to Roku's wife's wedding dress oh, when they right. got married. Yeah. It's based on or takes cues from ancient Korean fashion worn by the country's nobility. So that headdress, the robes that she's wearing, very reminiscent of early Korean fashion. The rest of the scene, though, pretty awful. Yeah. I was hoping for a sliver of more character depth to Ozai. I was hoping for maybe a Sozin scenario where we see him Mm -hmm. as a younger gentleman and he's not totally evil and sadistic and you hate him right away. This is just something that was inside of him that was that came out as the years went on and he didn't have the, oh, I don't know, positive reinforcement or positive influence from, say, Roku. No, Mm -hmm. he's just always been this way. He's always been a terrible human being. Yeah. Yeah. So we don't get very much more of his character compared to the animated series, which, you know, is fine because he's at least on brand with who we know him to be. That's true. That's true. Consistency <laughs> uh, a sadistic is nice. megalomaniac who wants to take over the world. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, it does match Azula quite a bit. Azula has always been sadistic and selfish and power hungry. So I guess in that way, Kind of, but... It kind of fits. To use one of your arguments against you, if I may. (laughs) Yes, you may. That's not why you so much, and a lot of people so much enjoy Azula. There is still that conflict in her, right? Mm -hmm. Like, she's not completely evil. She turns that way, but she has some redeeming qualities. Like, she is a Mm -hmm. kind of, at least on the beach, the episode of The Beach... She's kind of a good friend to Tylee and May, right? Mm-hmm. She wanted to fit in. She was trying yeah. to fit in. She, she couldn't do so, but she was trying. We have not seen Ozai try to be anything other than an absolute piece of work and not in a good way. Yeah. No, you're right. We don't. And I think we wouldn't really be able to see much of that unless we got much more Ozai screen time or... But I don't think we, time. we would even get that because this would be the time to show that, I would think. It would. Yeah. Right? Like it, it would be a, hey, this is the way it's going to be. And like have some remorse about it. Be like, I don't like this as much any more than you do. Blah, blah, blah. No, he's just drink, literally drinking it up. Yeah. He's also like 18 plus too. Yeah. So like Azula is what, 15, 16 yep. during the, the animated series. So mm-hmm. she's going through her arc right now as a younger person, but he is definitely like on the cusp of being an adult. He's also been under Azulon this whole time. Like Azulon has, is his dad. And so he's kind of, he's probably pretty formed at this point. I don't think Azulon is as bad as Ozai. He was definitely warmer in the flashbacks. Slightly. <laughs> yes. A little bit. Yeah. So like, th- again, I'm not saying Azulon is a good guy. I'm saying he's not as bad <laughs> as Ozai, right? Like, yeah. yeah. I have a feeling that if Ozai was in Azulon's shoes or seat, let's say, and Azula was like, I'm going to kill Zuko because he's useless and I should be the ruler of everything, not him. Yep. I should be the Fire Lord. He would be like, cool, go for it. I really don't care. Yeah. I, I do not would. care. Yep. Where Azulon was like, no, that's not the way. So Azulon still had some sort of code, mm-hmm. let's say, where Ozai does not. Not really. Yeah. Yeah. So I, th- I think, and 
the more we're talking about this, the more we're discussing this. I didn't realize we're going to be talking about all these things when you're going through it. And this is just like... Me neither. It's just like off the notes, yeah. but it's great. I love it. This was... Igor and I were messaging about this before and I was like, I have thoughts. And these were not the thoughts that I was referring to at all. <laughs> I'll yeah. say that. But I think now that we're talking about it, I'm okay with Ozai being a one note villain. Mm-hmm. Ultimately, I think I am too. Yeah. like it, It's a role that needed to be played. And when you have this world that's so full of fully fleshed out characters that are going through an arc or have gone through an arc, it takes, I think, just a little extra push to see, like, to get them further into a journey. And Ozai is mm-hmm. that push. And I, I guess to quote The Dark Knight, there are villains out there that just want to see the world burn, mm-hmm. quite literally mm-hmm. in Ozai's case. So yep. I'm here for it. Yep. And his character depth could be as simple as just selfishness and power. Yeah. You don't need to explain very much of that if that's the case. It's like, no. Well, actually, so I think it's more in that direction than anything else because the advice that he gives Zuko, his advice is, you are the Fire Lord, therefore anything you say goes. That's the rule. Yeah. (laughs) Anything the Fire Lord does is the good decision because you're the Fire Lord. Like, oh my goodness. Yeah, that's a dangerous train of thought. And I do like that slight reassurance he gave Zuko as well, where he was like, Mm -hmm. and maybe Ozai's arc literally just started much later in his life. We don't know, Mm -hmm. right? Like everything's gone perfectly. Not perfectly. Slightly rocky has been the best term I I think we can use for Ozai, but he's been lived a very privileged life. So when he's now in prison and he gives Zuko that advice from, I think it was part two or three of The Promise, where he's talking about the the dilemma that Zuko had of, of right and wrong, the hawk or the turtle, like who should he have mm-hmm. spared? He was a little, he was almost fatherly, dare I say, in that moment. Yeah. It's just interesting to see. So maybe he gets an arc now, maybe he doesn't. But uh, so far, I'm comfortable with him not. <laughs> comfortable with him just being mm-hmm. the bad guy. Yeah, same. I'll put it this way. I'm not expecting, nor do I want, a show from Avatar Studios exploring Ozai's past or Ozai's character. I'm good with this. You know, I don't think there's much more to tell. For me, it depends on what happens after all of this with Ozai. If he dies, sure, I'm fine with that. If he continues living, I want to see how his life has changed being a prisoner. Things not going his way. That's what I want to see. That is where the story could be. Yeah. But like, as far as his origins, how he became the way he, yeah, I don't, he I don't is. Care. Yeah, I don't, I don't need that. <laughs> he was, he's always been the same way from birth up until the end of book three, as far as I'm concerned. Uh-huh. Yep. Yeah. Same. All right. Hopping back into the present, Aang, Katara, and Sokka fly to the Fire Nation Royal Palace to meet Zuko and Iroh after receiving a message from their friend. Zuko explains that he's discovered the location of his mother's hometown and hopes that by traveling there, he will receive some answers. Iroh will look after things while he's gone, and he was hoping that his friends would join him because the information about his mother came at a cost. At that moment, Azula emerges from the curtains behind him, and Aang and Katara immediately go on the defensive. Zuko stops them and explains that Azula was the one who got the information from their father, and because she helped, they made a deal. She is going with him to look for their mother. And on top of that, she's going to travel unbound with dignity which means he needs some help keeping an eye on her. His friends aren't convinced by the plan until Iroh interjects and says that ever since Zuko ascended to the throne, he has yearned for peace. Finding Ursa may bring that peace, and not just for himself. 
As he says this, Iru's attention shifts to Azula. Aang sees this and understands. We're your friends, Zuko, he says. If you need us, we'll go. I'm getting, this might just be me, large RPG vibes, role-playing game, not like the rocket uh, launcher, yep. where it's like, oh, we don't have Toph. We need a new party member. Azula has joined the party. <laughs> yeah, I totally see that. Yeah. Uh-huh. That's the first thing I thought is like, oh, we lost one. Get in someone else. It can't just be an incomplete party of four. There has to be that fifth in there, it seems. They even make a nod to that in like another scene. Oh, I missed that. One or two scenes after this. Sort of. Okay. Just a little right. bit. So right. we'll, we'll bring that up back up. But yes, absolutely. It definitely has those kinds of <laughs> vibes. But also the gang's back together and this is nostalgic. That's true. I love it. That is very true. The next day, as everyone is preparing to leave, Azula proves herself to be as difficult and demanding as they expected. Zuko tells his friends that someone will have to be watching his sister at all times. Sokka volunteers for first watch, but Azula zaps his boomerang out of his hands, which causes Team Avatar to go on the offensive yet again, and Sokka backs out, suggesting someone else take first watch instead. As they fly away, Iroh muses aloud to Suki that the problem with the Fire Nation is that for the past hundred years, they've had too many weapons and too little tea. This makes him realize his first order of business as interim Fire Lord, declaring a National Tea Appreciation Day. I feel like this might just be me. This is a conflict of interest all of a sudden. (laughs) How so? Because Iroh, as we all remember, owns a tea shop. Oh, I see. So if he as a fire lord declares a national tea day, profits rise. Mm. Just saying. Mm-hmm. Is this Iroh being sweet Uncle Iroh or is this Iroh the mastermind making another move? We may never know. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> On Appa, Sokka watches in disgust as Katara and Aang kiss in front of him. Katara and Aang comment that it's too bad Toph couldn't be there, but that instead they have Azula for company. Azula makes the moment weird by demanding to know which miscreant of the group did she approach first. None of them had even met Azula yet, so how did she convince them to help her ruin the princess's life? I just want to say this really quickly. Uh huh. Small comic book thing. Did you see the onomatopoeia for the kiss? Yes. Smack. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> what a gross word for a kiss. <laughs> I really liked it. I'm sorry. I had to point it out. I found that very funny. And every time I go yeah. past that page, I laugh to myself. Smack. Smack. <laughs> <laughs> yep. But there's your reference. There's your reference. They're like, oh man, too bad Toph can't be here. But you know what? We have another party yeah. member. Okay. Azula. Yep. Yep. <laughs> and then Azula makes it weird. <laughs> She goes into her crazy Azula mode and is like, who did she approach first? Yeah. How did she do this? So Azula is convinced that her mother is ruining her life, even though she hasn't actually seen her mother. She is. Since she was a child. Just yep. this like craze that she's in now. She can't see out of it. Like she has she always been seeing her mother, not just when she was crazy or I mean, she's always been kind of crazy, arguably, but like before the break, let's say. No. I think it was after the break when she was about to become Fire Lord and started firing everyone in the palace. I think that's the first time it started. And she saw her mom. Okay. So she's retroactively connecting the dots, so to speak, in this giant conspiracy. Okay. Okay. I wasn't sure. that. Yeah. Oh, that is the scary part because of how smart Azula is. She is fabricating this 
mastermind plot involving her mother with her big brain that is completely fabricated and false. That is so dangerous. It really is. It really. And like, it reminds me of, this is going to be an odd reference, the um, the Jim Carrey movie number 23. And I guess that's also oh, like a uh-huh. phenomenon, right? Like the number 23 shows up everywhere throughout history. And if you really look for it, you can find like correlations to events and the number 23. That's what she's kind of doing with her mom and all of the terrible things that have befallen Azula throughout her life. She just is mm-hmm. like, oh yeah, well, my mom could have done that because in her mind, Azula could have orchestrated such a, or she believes she could orchestrate such a crazy scheme that would go throughout yeah. all of her life without having to be present. Why can't her mother? Yeah. It also reminds me of A Beautiful Mind a little bit. Oh yeah, where, that's true. I mean, like again, the mental illness is similar, that theme and the the presence in the building of a delusion that is not real, but it's based on real facts or real clues. I'm not going to go into any more detail because A Beautiful Mind is a great movie. And if you haven't seen it, you should that's watch so it. so good. Beautiful. Um, <laughs> But just that, yeah, (laughs) beautiful. (laughs) But just the concept of when you're incredibly smart, it can be very difficult to figure out what's real and what's not when you're in a delusion Mm. because you see patterns everywhere. You're putting the puzzle pieces together and it feels like you're on the right trail, but actually you're just completely out of it. You don't even realize. Yeah. As she talks, Azula gets more and more wound up until Zuko has to stop her with a threatening steaming fist. Azula plays it off as just small talk and Team Avatar agree that they all miss Toph. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> like, yeah, we have a new party member. Ooh, but we really miss Toph. <laughs> Can Toph come back? On a more personal note, they replaced one of my favorite characters with one of my least favorite characters. So yeah, I miss Toph. <laughs> that is funny. Sometime later, Zuko mentions that Hira must be just up ahead, but admits that he doesn't want to enter the town in the middle of the night like some group of bandits so they should probably camp for the night. Sokka turns to talk to Aang about this and sees his friend's face contorted in a strangely aggressive scowl. (laughs) When asked what's wrong, Aang replies that he can't help it. There's something out there, some kind of spirit that he can feel, especially in his face. He looks over the side of the saddle and sees a giant glowing wolf spirit running on the ground below them. Azula uses the distraction to make her dramatic exit. She stands on the edge of Appa's saddle and tells the group that it's been a pleasure to listen to their bickering. But now that Kira is a hop, skip and jump away, it's time to bid farewell. Oh, and she'll be sure to give her their regards. Without another word, she dies off the side into a freefall. Aang was just suffering from what I call RWSF. RWSF. Resting wolf spirit face. <laughs> <laughs> If you ever see someone in your life with a particularly aggressive scowl, ask them, mm-hmm. do they have RSW? RWSF. Resting R-W-S-F? Wolf <laughs> Resting yes. wolf spirit face. You're all welcome. Yeah. <laughs> yep. If you're wondering, no, that's not the most proud thing I've ever done on this podcast. <laughs> if you're wondering, but I stand by it. Yep. Something about this scene, I don't know if you picked up on this, but it felt very anime-esque. I agree. Well, to be fair, we have a giant wolf spirit underneath a giant flying bison. Uh huh. So yeah, I'm getting like Digimon Pokemon, like yes, Miyazaki it vibes felt like, too. <laughs> it felt like a Team Rocket. Address. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I did get <laughs> That's those vibes what it as felt well. Like to me. <laughs> I mean, we 
we very rarely get to see the spirit world in Avatar mm-hmm. The Last Airbender. So when we do, I think it feels extra anime-esque, for lack yeah. of a better term, because it's very... It's more fantastical than the main series is because sure, we could kind of like rationalize bending of the elements. It's not super far-fetched for us. There's Pokemon Mm -hmm. pun for you all. You're welcome. (laughs) But when you see the spirit world start to clash with the physical world, we are kind of taken to this, I think, more fantastical place, which is really nice. And it's like a breath of fresh air every time we get it. Yeah. And on that note, I did read that by the time Yang was writing the search, he and Mike and Brian were already deep into writing book two of Korra. Ah. And at that time that they were developing more rules and ideas for how the spirit world worked, because that was a big part of the story in Korra. So they feel like those ideas directly influenced the human spirit interactions in this story. That makes sense. Yeah. It all comes together. It's all overlapping. It's all connected. <laughs> just like Azula's mom's big evil plan to ruin just Azula's life, specifically her daughter's and no one else's. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Speaking of Azula, she's now free falling down to the ground. And so Aang, being a good guy, leaps after her with his glider and catches her on the way down. But Azula promptly burns a hole in his glider to get him to release her, and she lands on the ground in a practiced crouch before taking off. She leaps over a stream in her getaway and at that moment becomes distracted by the sound of her mother's voice. She stops and turns to see Ursa's reflection in the water. Ursa tells her daughter that she's only hurting herself, but Azula erupts at the ghostly reflection. She tells it that she's stronger than she realizes and that Ursa has been conspiring to take her down since the day Azula was born. Because even as an infant, Ursa saw in her something she'd never have, power. Azula then spirals into demanding to know how Ursa managed to make everyone close to her turn on her and that she now has the evidence she needs to take the throne from Zuko. But she can't become Fire Lord with Ursa constantly conspiring to undo her. That's why Azula's going to find and end her. Dun, dun, dun. Again, just I feel like I've spoken too much about how Azula is just crumbling when she's alone. But like, mm-hmm. talk about a perfect depiction of that. No one's around her. She sees her mom and just like yells at water, essentially. Yeah, this is her at her most unhinged so far. And yes. it's a very powerful portrayal of just what kind of state her mind is in. And the last panel on page 48 for like the super collected edition, if you're following along, it's like almost like Disney villain vibes with how her eyes yeah. look. And there's like a slight red. It's not like a bloodshot red, but it's just like the light is kind of shining through. And it's just this red that looks bloodshot, but it's not. It's just and she's sweating. Mm-hmm. I just got like heavy Disney villain vibes. Yep, I did too. And um that's another example of the artistic difference between the two sides of her. If you notice when she starts going into those kind of more deranged states, everything, her pupils shrink down, yeah. like her irises and pupils get really small. Her face gets sharper, more angular, more expressive. Yeah. Yeah. Guri Hero had a blast with this. You can tell. Yeah. It's almost like drawing two different characters. Yeah. That's really fun. Yeah. Well, she, she's not alone for long because Zuko catches up to her and asks his sister who she's talking to. Azula responds that it doesn't concern him and that she no longer needs his help to find their mother. 
Before she can attack him, though, Katara bends a casing of ice around Azula, trapping her arms to her sides. The group comes together, and Zuko notices that Aang's face is doing that thing again, which means the spirit must be close by. Azula, on the ground at this point, stops mid-rant when she sees something across the clearing. The wolf spirit. Another big reveal. Azula is the only other person in the group, aside from Aang, who can see the spirit. That is interesting to me. Mm-hmm. Do we think it's connected to her mom? Seeing hallucinations of her mom? Maybe. But I'm more wondering if being able to see the spirit world could also be a lineage thing. Mm. Because Iroh could as well. And we don't know why. Right. We've we made ass- we assume. Yeah, but we yeah. don't know. Like we, I think, assume that it's because of the dragons, right? Like when he learned mm-hmm. the true firebending origin. But we don't know that for a fact. Like Zuko can't see these and he knows too. So. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I'm torn between this. For me, all theories are valid right now in my mind. Yeah. Until proven otherwise. But yeah, her seeing the wolf quickly put her in her place, I think. (laughs) (laughs) She was like, oh, (laughs) yep. And poor Sokka thinks that they're all just like cowering in front of the boomerang. Yeah. Oh, Sokka. (laughs) Poor guy. He's like, yeah, been trying to intimidate or take charge around Azula this whole trip. She keeps putting him in his place. And finally, she's looking in his direction with a face of fear. And he's like, ha ha, now you respect Boomerang. <laughs> uh, that's a classic comedy that only you could only put Sokka in this and maybe Toph. Maybe Toph you could put in here as well. Yeah. But there are few people in the Avatar universe that you could pull off this kind of joke with. And I think they did mm-hmm. it wonderfully. And this kind of joke also tends to be more on the animated side. So props to the team for, for pulling it off. Mm-hmm. We're going to hop back into the past at this point where we find Ursa sitting down at a writing desk in the palace and composing a letter in the dead of night. After finishing it, she rises and making sure she is alone, moves aside a hanging royal portrait to reveal a collection of theater masks hanging on the wall. She gently touches Ikum's dragon mask, lost in thought, but is soon interrupted by a knock at the door. After putting the portrait back in place, she opens the door to find a young Zuko rubbing his eyes. He explains that he's afraid to go back to sleep after having a bad dream about Azula in a room that was on fire. Ursa carries him in her arms back to bed and tells him to hold on to the good dreams, not the bad ones, and tucks him in. Couple of quick thoughts. Very sad about the masks. She's just, this yeah. is what she has to remember her past life with. A little bit of foreshadowing, I think, as well, with what we'll learn in a mm-hmm. couple pages. In regards to the Blue Spirit mask, because that's one of the masks, it's her mask, her theater mask, which should be her real husband's theater mask, (laughs) the Blue Spirit, and a white one, which I read was uh, one of the initial designs for the Blue Spirit mask, which is really cool. So cool. So very interesting there. Also, he had a nightmare about Azula being Azula when she was a small child. Ooh, that gave me chills. That's that's unnerving. Yeah. Because... They're like, what, a year apart? Yeah, maybe two at most. And he's like five in this scene. Yeah. So, and she looks super peaceful and super cute. And like, you just pinch your little Zula cheeks and, you know, give her a big, big hug. She's a little Zula baby. But like, yeah, he's scared of her. So so this, I have two train of thoughts on this one. I'm very curious to see where your brain goes on this. Mm -hmm. Do you think that it is because A, she is for lack of a better term, Azula, even at this age, 
or B, whatever spiritual forces Zuko was tapping into during the promise in terms of dreams and having them represent something else or being spicy food. Do you think he's tapping into that? Or do you think it's just she's Azula even at this age? That is a really good question. I could see it being either, but I am leaning towards the dreams being caused by his connection with Aang, like or the in that Avatar time period. The Avatar uh-huh. in general. Or the Avatar. Okay. So I don't know if that's an inherent trait or ability of his. I think he was being affected by the Avatar spirit or Aang. I'm leaning towards it being Azula, Azula just being Azula. She's always been Azula. Also, because it kind of ties back to the concept of yin and yang. That's true. And the two dragons. Yeah. And how, you know, Azula is the, <laughs> the angry, power hungry, consuming dragon. And Zuko is the placid, thoughtful and peaceful dragon. Mm-hmm. And that makes sense to me because if Ursa was paired with Ozai specifically because she was the Avatar's granddaughter then this is their first generation after that. Yeah. We have a line of Sozin and a line of Roku. And they came together with Ozai and Ursa. And now the children are the first in that new line. So it's almost like the two powers represented in their personalities. That's true as well. I also wonder if it's the latter. Just follow me on this one. I think you're Mm -hmm. right. I think it's that just Azula has been Azula her, her whole life. But if it's that the dream that he had is a vision from the future that would be potentially a result of the Roku bloodline, which Ursa wants to squash because she doesn't want Ozai to find out that their son is having visions. That's a brain cannon I could get on board with. Maybe. this It's a little bit of a stretch. I think the for, it, former is easier. It's a little out easier, there, but I like it. But you know, just throwing it out there. We, you know, we have a platform to throw out my crazy ideas on and <laughs> yours as well. So I figure, why not? We'll see. Well, I like it because it's an extra detail, an, an extra point of intrigue. But also think of all the times when Azula has set things on fire. Like, wouldn't it be crazy if little five-year-old Zuko was getting a dream of the future when Azula was going crazy at the end of book three and yeah. burning the Royal Palace Courtyard Yeah, during their Agni Kai. Like, That'd be wild. That would be wild. <laughs> that would be so cool. Yeah. Like it's not a room, but it's still like the Royal Palace, a place that he would recognize and see as like being home. Well, also dreams are not exactly yeah. sensible either. Like you could say like, I'm in a room and it, you feel like you're in a room, but you're visually not in a room, right? Like that's, and also you mm-hmm. could be like, that's Azula. And it doesn't, it looks like adult Azula. And obviously little kid Zuko wouldn't know what like teenage adult Azula would look like. But in his brain, it's making that dream connection for lack of a better term. Yep. So maybe. Yep. Fun things to think about. I yeah. like this. After tucking Zuko into bed, Ursa slips away to a room just past the kitchens where an old woman named Alua answers the knock. Ursa passes the secret letter to her and asks if she can make sure it's delivered to Hira in confidence, just like all the others. The woman warmly agrees, telling the princess it's an honor to help her, and Ursa leaves. But once gone, Alua reveals her true motives when she slips over to a trunk and begins to put the letter inside. She quickly reads it first, and what she sees makes her stop cold. She makes her way to the Fire Lord's training room where she presents the latest letter from his wife addressed to her hometown. Ozai is confused, telling her that he's asked her to file the letters away for him, 
Fidelua insists that he will want to see this letter. Ozai accepts the paper and reads it, his own eyes widening in disbelief. The tension! I dislike this woman severely. I... It made me, like, reflect on how some people in the world can be the warmest, most welcoming, friendly, kind people and still be able to be a two-face and just flip on you once you're gone or once you're out of earshot. Like, I know those people exist and it's it's uncomfortable (laughs) to see it depicted in this comic and have it negatively impacting Ursa, who we love. Mm -hmm. And granted, like we could maybe argue that She's afraid of Ozai. Ozai put her up to this. And, you know, like he is the fire lord and he's a very strong firebender as well. But I just don't like this whole scenario. I don't like the betrayal and it's not sitting right with me. I do like Mm -hmm. that she reads the notes, even though Ozai probably told her not to. (laughs) Yeah. I think I got that that sense too. For me, that's like, this is her soap opera. (laughs) Like she looks forward (laughs) to these little notes and she reads them. Then she puts them back nice and neat into the little trunk. And but this is one that she is like, "Eh, I gotta tell them. I can totally see that too. I also just from the way that her her character is drawn makes me think that she really enjoys being an informant. Being important as well. Yeah. 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 I agree. Detail about the room, though. Mm -hmm. Did you notice that the the dummies that he's training against are wearing Earthbender uniforms? I did. Yeah. Yeah. So apparently it's not any old Earthbender uniforms. There are specifically the Royal Earthbender Guards who are from Ba Sing Se, and they're commonly known as the King's Guards. They are Earthbending warriors that are not affiliated with either the Dai Li or the army. So they're specifically Mm. royal guards, which are very similar to the Fire Nation guards that we talked about, who accompanied Azula early in her journey in book three, I believe, or two. Anyway, those were very specific. And so first of all, I find it curious he's training against those particular dummies. And second of all, where did they get those uniforms? I um, imagine off the backs of some guards that they may have uh, killed. Maybe. That is a good question. I think that they just used it in a meta, out of context kind of way, out of the story kind of way. I think they just used it because it looked cooler and it's probably easier to draw. If you look at it, they're <laughs> all like blocky, pretty blocky shaped and they're all like quick. Yeah. And they haven't really conquered the Earth Kingdom yet mm-hmm. at this point. So yeah, I think the siege on Bossing Say is probably just a couple years in the future, if I could guess. Yeah, but like they also, they didn't win that. No, they didn't. So why would the Royal Guards be out there? They didn't even get know. to the palace. Yeah, I don't know. I can't I can't think of a headcanon where they could have gotten this in conquest unless they like stole it off the back of a boat or the back of a truck. Yeah. So like take a take a page out of the Katara comic in the Pirate Silver yeah. where they stole it from a supply chain or something. Yeah. That's the only thing yeah. that makes sense to me at this point. Yep, I agree. Just outside the Hira in the present, Aang and his friends have a scuffle with the wolf spirit. Aang orders them to be respectful to the spirit who he believes has left the spirit world for something important, but the wolf keeps attacking them. Zuko and Katara realize during the scuffle that the markings on the spirit's fur resembles the face that Aang couldn't help making. The group of friends are forced to defend themselves but are shocked when the wolf spirit eats their bending unharmed even burps out some smoke after eating Zuko's firebending. (laughs) 
Appa even jumps into the fight and knocks the wolf spirit back, but it gets right back up and vomits a cloud of moth wasps. So really, really fun aside here. Apparently, Yang met with Dee Bradley Baker at WonderCon in 2013, and Dee Bradley Baker allowed himself to be recorded making Appa's sounds on these pages. So they like held up the comic to him and they're like, hey, can you do these sounds for us? And he like, okay, yeah, uh, hang on. And he looks through it. And then he proceeds to do panel by panel the sounds that Appa would be making. It's really good. It's still on YouTube. So if you search. I got to find that. Yeah, it's really good. If you search D. Bradley Baker reads from the search should be one of your, your top hits. I also really like this vomiting of the moths. Like it's it's, it's very unsettling. Yeah. 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 But it's very like Miyazaki-esque as well. Mm-hmm. Like I can see that. Like I can, I am looking at this panel and I can see it come to life in that style. Yep. It's very interesting. I can too. It's, it kind of reminds me of actually uh, the boar spirits from Princess Mononoke yeah. and how they they like start changing. Yeah. That kind of uncomfortable, unsettling <laughs> type of quality. <laughs> yeah. Well, Azula tells Zuko to release her at this point, promising that she'll take care of the spirits for them. But Zuko insists that they don't need her help. However, after a few moments, the cloud of moths begin to swarm the others. And Azula offers an apology for running off on her own. And this is enough to make Zuko relent. He frees her. And once free, the princess forms a crackling orb of lightning and shoots it in the air, scattering the moth wasps and then launching the orb into the distance, luring both the moth wasps and the wolf spirit into chasing it. Another anime moment, in my opinion. (laughs) Kind of DBZ-esque a little bit. Yes. Yeah. You got like a a spirit ball, a spirit bomb. I can't remember what it's called. It's one of those two. (laughs) She just Uh like summons and just throws yeah i caught that too yep or a hadouken if you want to be a street fighter fan Uh uh-huh similar yeah makes me wonder what she or why she thought that that would work i guess you know moths to a flame and so she's like "Eh, lightning flame yeah well yeah i mean we know in the modern era that you want to get rid of moths or bugs you have that little bug zapper that's just a light that (laughs) flickers yeah so this this is just the bending version of that i suppose i guess so Oh, geez. And then she made it a ball. So then the dog would want to chase it. Oh, that's exactly what was happening. Mm -hmm. I see you. Mm -hmm. I see you, Yang and (laughs) Gurdhue. That evening, once everyone has wound down for the night in camp, Sokka and Zuko talk around the fire. Sokka is worried about Azula's hands being unbound, but Zuko reminds him that Azula saved them from the moth wasps that day and that Zuko should give her a chance. Sokka retorts that Zuko's given her a lot of chances for someone who tried to fry him, but Zuko dismisses this. Sokka notices that Katara is sleeping next to Appa without a blanket and goes over to drape one over her, commenting to Zuko that it's a little cold that night. Zuko responds that after all the snowballs, Katara had bended at his face, Sokka still looks out for her. Sokka smiles and says he throws witticisms at her and she throws snowballs at him. The relationship works. <laughs> mm-hmm. Zuko remarks that it seems to him that Sokka is getting the short end of that deal, but Sokka tells him warmly that Katara is his sister. When it comes to her, he doesn't mind getting the short end of the deal. Zuko looks back at Azula in thought. It's very like warm and touching, just like to have that reminder of the relationship between Sokka and Katara, because we don't see too much of it after book one, really. Mm -hmm. Like there's so many people in the group and they all kind of like mingle amongst each other, but we don't really get too many 
Sokka, like serious Sokka yeah. and Katara moments. Like we get the goofy ones and stuff like that. And when she waterbends, he gets wet, but usually hangs around there anyways. But just to see this like calm of the night and him taking care of his kid sister, it's just, it's really nice. It's really sweet. Yeah. Yeah. It's um also apparently the team's favorite scene. Hmm. The team who made the comment were saying that they really were happy with how much they were able to express how Sokka and Zuko feel about their little sisters. And for Zuko in particular, it's all through facial expressions because he doesn't say anything about Azula. He just like looks over at her after hearing what Sokka was saying about Katara, which again, I don't know if I'm just getting pessimistic or what, but I feel like Zuko keeps getting pieces of advice from people whose that advice works for. But I feel like his relationship with his family members, especially Azula, are just so different. The advice doesn't really apply in the same way. And so he's just like, you know what? That sounds sweet. I want to be like that with my sister. Let me emulate the things that I just saw Sokka do and maybe it'll turn out okay. I'm <laughs> you know? so glad you said that because I was thinking <laughs> almost the exact same thing. I was yeah. like, he's get, again... He's getting this external influence mm-hmm. and he's like, oh, I guess I'll do what the external influence says. And it's on another note on that as well, or I guess the other side of this coin is he wants that relationship with Azula, but it's not possible. So this is him yeah. trying to like have even just a sliver of it, even for a moment. Mm-hmm. And that's the real tragedy. Yeah. You know, he spent how many years trying to earn his father's love back? And now he's trying to make things up with his sister, both of which do not freaking care. Yeah. <laughs> They're like, absolutely not. Zuko's the worst. He's the Fire Lord. He took my throne. Like, both of them are resentful of him doing that to them. And he's like, I want a nice family. I want us to all be happy. <laughs> Poor Zuko. <laughs> yeah. Oh, Zuko. It also goes to show how good of an influence that Sokka is on Zuko, though. Yeah. Which is nice. Yeah. I'm just waiting for the moment when Zuko finally realizes that Team Avatar is his real family. They're not his biological family, but they're the family that he has found in life. Hopefully that happens. I don't know. Yeah. We'll see. We'll see. But he does take this a step further, emulating Sokka. He asks Sokka for another blanket and he goes over and puts it over his sister. And in that process, he notices something tucked into her boot. So he takes the paper out and reads it, growing more distraught the more he reads. And then we get a panel where we see, in quotes, what the letter says. And it says, My dearest Ecom, it's taken me a long time to admit it, but you were right. I belong with you, and nothing is worth this pain. My one consolation is our son Zuko. When I look into his eyes, it's as if I'm looking into yours. My thoughts are with you always. Love, Ursa. When I say... I did not see that coming and I was absolutely floored. I can't express how surprised I was and how shocked. Mm -hmm. I've never heard this spoiler. Like how? Well, (laughs) I have thoughts. This is what I have thoughts on. This is the big thing that I was messaging you about. Okay. It's worded very interestingly. Mm -hmm. So she, she says, my one consolation is our son Zuko. Our could also mean her and Ozai. When I look into his eyes, it's as if I'm looking into yours. That could just be that he reminds her of Ikum. It could be. It could. This is also 
everyone's yelling at your phone or your car stereo <laughs> or your headphones right now. I understand. I am also in denial still about this. I don't know how I feel about it. I've been digesting this literally all week. Yep. All for two weeks, practically. And I'm like, everything makes sense when you learn this. How Ozai was able to scar him permanently. How he's able to banish him so seemingly effortlessly. Like, all these things make sense with this information. But like, it makes sense without this information too. Like Ozai is just a monster. We've established mm -hmm. that. He has no redeeming qualities as of, well, one redeeming quality. And that was that small bit of advice that he gave Zuko or not advice. I should say insight during that like struggle that he had is like, oh, I did the wrong thing, right thing with the turtle dove, the, the hawk, whatever. <laughs> uh -huh. Right. I'm like the fact that we haven't heard the spoiler and we've had a lot of people emailing us spoilers. Yeah. And we've done a lot of research kind of recklessly if you think about it in terms of spoilers. That is my seed of doubt. Yeah, that's the big one. Like when I was thinking about that and then I, I've been pouring over those two sentences, my one consolation is our son Zuko. When I look into his eyes, it's as if I'm looking into yours. It's gray for me. It's not, it's not like definitively this is a thing. It's like you could have worded it in a way that would have been a lot more obvious. This is giving them wiggle room mm -hmm. from like a writing perspective. I'm not a writer. You're the writer between the two of us. But for me, like there's wiggle room in here. There's retcon ability if they wanted it. Yeah, technically, because from a grammar standpoint, if she's shifting the you subject from Ikum to Ozai from mm -hmm. one sentence to another, technically, that could be the case. Yep. Technically, that would be true. It would just be not, not very clear. And that could be the trick. I don't know. I'm I'm wondering. I'm very interested to continue reading, but you're right. This <laughs> this was published in 2013. Yeah. How have we gone this whole time yes. not hearing that yes. Zuko is not actually Ozai's son? Like that would have come up at some point somewhere. You would think. Yeah, I don't think it's true. I think this is shock value. I think uh -huh. it's wonderful shock value. Don't get me wrong, but that yep. could just be my denial. I'm just going to throw that out there. I don't believe it yet. Yep. I'm putting up my arms like very cautiously. I'm <laughs> fighting back the crowds that are coming at us right now. We will see. We'll see. Perhaps more importantly, Michael did say that this particular panel was one of his favorites because it was making use of the comic format in a way that you wouldn't be able to use in animated form. He liked how powerful and impactful that panel looked, how it was Zuko standing on a backdrop with the overlapping letter and like the atmosphere and like how it goes dark. Yeah. So that, that whole thing, he had a very particular comment about it saying that he enjoyed that aspect of it. And um, I don't know, in a weird way, it's like we talked about how the comics to us feel very canon, not only because Mike and Brian were a part of the writing of them, but also because it feels like the story that they always meant to tell just told in a different format. And so it's cool to hear them having these moments of like, yay, this is neat. This is a cool effect. I'm glad we're using comics to tell the story. It could be me projecting though. I don't think it's projecting. I agree with that. I've just been so enamored with the promise. And now I'm even more in love with the search. I didn't think mm -hmm. that would be possible. You know, this is the sequel, quote unquote, comic book to the promise. Yeah. So there's a lot of, already 
at the time of publication, I would imagine a lot of hype around this, especially this is about Ursa. We have gotten very little about Ursa. So a lot of people that are excited about this. And I've heard uh, not just from people who tweeted at us or who emailed us or just through other means, but a lot of people really want the search to be adapted into an animated format because of how beloved Mm -hmm. it is. And I could see why just based off of this. Yeah, me too. Yeah. But that is it for part one. What a ride. What a ride. Wow. (laughs) I personally feel like it's really tough to pick an MVP and moral of the issue here because it felt like such a starter to the story. A lot happened to me. I mean, not to me for the first one. I think (laughs) I've been pretty obvious. Let me guess. Is Ecom your MVP? You bet your horseshoes, Ecom's my MVP. (laughs) Tell us why, Greg. Because he's amazing in every possible way. He's hilarious. He's strong. He's brave. He's kind of an idiot, which is great. Mm -hmm. He is maybe a wolf spirit. Everything is cool about everything. Mm -hmm. He at least saw a wolf spirit and didn't flinch. Like he's just the goofiest coolest kid in school as far as I'm concerned mm-hmm. he, and he's loyal and he's brave and he's just like I don't know he's he's everything that I think I really like about a lot of team avatar rolled into a character yeah the absolute courage it took to step up to Ozai in that moment where he was like no you're not taking you're not taking my girl and then Ursa was like no you idiot this is over you will die if I don't do this Hmm. He just has the origins of a really cool character all in the five pages that we saw him. That is impressive. And if he's going to show up again later in the comics, then yeah, that's a great origin or start for his character. Yeah. So that's why he's not just my MVP, but probably my favorite new introduced character in the comics. (laughs) Just saying. Okay, cool. I like it. I don't really have an MVP. I feel like there's a couple options that are on the same level, but there's just something about them that makes me not feel good about giving them the MVP. Is it because it's Ozai or Azula? Yeah. I mean, even Ursa, Ursa and Zuko, like Zuko, as we've discussed, is kind of being a little naive and I'm a little frustrated with him, even though it is the point of the story and the point of the conflict. And then Ursa, while I really like her character, I don't think she's doing the MVP type of motions. Like she's not really impacting the story and driving it forward and like, you know, changing the the, the situation. She's kind of just in survival mode. Mm-hmm. She's doing what she thinks is best for her life and her family and for Egum and her now children. So like, I don't know, everyone's kind of on the same level for me. So because of that, I'll throw in with Egum with you. Okay. All right. We'll, we'll give, him, give him two votes. By definition as well. Azulon would be an MVP. Is he, without him, there would be no the search. Mm-hmm. There would be no Zuko either. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but as everyone knows, we also use the MVP to talk about our favorite characters yes. of that episode or that issue. And Azulon, mm, he's yeah, not my favorite character, no, but he definitely no. moved and shaked things enough to <laughs> get this show on the road. I'll put it that way. Yep, yep. But I don't want to give it to him. All right, no. that's fair. That's totally fair. I respect that because I don't want to give it to him either. <laughs> Uh What about the moral of the issue? I think the moral of the issue is that every family has secrets and it's not necessarily the secrets that you might know about. 
Mm. There's always those extra skeletons rattling around in those closets. They're in the way back. Mm-hmm. So beware the closet skeletons. Beware of the closet skeletons <laughs> in the way back. In the way back. Those ones. They're <laughs> the, the worst back. ones. The ones that are dangling out into Narnia. Yes. Yeah. The ones that are practically in <laughs> Narnia. Yeah. Jeez. Yeah. What about you? The moral of the issue is also tough for me because I feel like there isn't like a really big standout aside from the one that you just talked about. But I guess going off of that theme of family, I would maybe say that family is who you make it. And that's okay. Because like there are some pretty crappy families. There are some pretty toxic families and it's okay to still recognize them as your family, but then also, you know, find your love and acceptance and your belonging with the family that you create. Because in this comic, I see so much more love, acceptance, and appreciation from Aang, Sokka, and Katara than Azula and Ozai. Yeah. And I feel like Zuko is still clinging to the redemption he is hoping for with his sister and his father. And I don't have much faith that that's going to happen. Yeah. I'm with you. I'm with you on that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But what a great conversation. Absolutely. A long one, too. <laughs> like you said, Jeez. yeah, kind of long. We stumbled on a lot of really great topics that I had. I was not expecting. I did not have in my notes. So for that, I loved it. Can't wait to get to part two. Any uh, closing thoughts before we wrap things up? I think I've spoken way too much about the <laughs> search part one. I'm going to burst. I'm going to become the search part one if I talk any more uh-huh. about it. it is, I guess closing thoughts is wonderful. It's the highlight for me of all of the comics so far. And I can't Mm -hmm. wait to dive into parts two and three. Awesome. Same. Well, we are still on a bi-weekly schedule. So you'll be hearing from us again in two weeks with the search part two. Um, And in the meantime, if you have any thoughts to share, you can write us at avatarthepodcast at gmail.com. You can leave us a five-star written review on Apple Podcasts, which we will read here on the show. If you are a Spotify listener, feel free to tack on your rating there. Spotify's new feature allows you to rate your favorite podcasts. Otherwise, where can they find you, Greg? You could find me over at twitch.tv slash boostergreg on Monday and Friday evenings at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. We just wrapped up It Takes Two, which by the time you hear this, it's been wrapped up for quite some time. But what a wonderful game. Uh, and we're continuing Aww. our playthrough of the Darksiders series, which is high school Greg is just 1000% beside himself <laughs> with glee. It's such a just like edgy in a, like a very shallow way kind of story. We've been having a lot of fun. You can also find me on Twitter at Booster Greg and basically Booster Greg somewhere on the Internet. It is probably me. People have been finding my TikTok as well. And I've been doing like very low effort TikToks and people seem to be enjoying those. <laughs> like I found out who my starter Pokemon will be. And yes, it's Growlithe. I'm very excited about that. <gasps> That's so accurate. I love Growlithe so much. But yeah, find Booster Egg anywhere on the internet. Come hang out on Twitch. It'll be a good time. I promise. It is always a good time. And you can find me online similarly at Acorn Bandit. Uh, you can also check out our enamel pins over on joysons.com, J-O-I-S-A-N-S.com. We do have official Avatar the Podcast pins, our Appa pin and our Toph face pin, both of which we love very dearly. The Toph design, designed by our very own Booster Greg here. Yeah, it was so much fun. Mm-hmm. But that is it for this week. So thank you so much for listening. We'll see you next time on Avatar, Avatar the, the Podcast. podcast.
Avatar, the podcast, is a proud part of the Geek Generation Network. Remember to check out all of our other podcasts at thegeekgeneration.com.